Chapter Eight of Spiders by Cecil Warburton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Crab spiders, mimicry. All spiders can spin, but by no means all use that power to entrap their prey. Many have no settled abode or resting place, except perhaps for a short time when they are rearing their young. Among these roving tribes, there are three groups which may engage our attention for a time. The crab spiders, the missidae, the wolf spiders, lycosidae, and the jumping spiders, atidae. Crab spiders are seldom seen by the ordinary observer, for their habits do not bring them prominently into notice, and many of them are of small size. They are well named, for there is something exceedingly crab-like in their appearance and in their actions. Their body is generally broad and flattened, and their legs, instead of being arranged fore and aft, like those of most spiders, extend more or less laterally, and though they can move pretty actively in any direction, their normal method of progression is sidewise. Then again, when frightened, they cramp their legs up under their bodies in a most crab-like fashion and sham dead. We saw some of these spiders on the iron railing, but their real haunts are among grass and herbage or upon the trunks of trees. Some are true rovers, hunting their prey by day and camping out wherever they happen to find themselves at night. Their methods are without guile, except that they approach their victims warily. Their trust is in rapidity of action and superior strength. But other crab spiders lead a less strenuous life. Their habit is to lurk in moss, lichen, or flowers till an insect draws near enough to be seized without any great expenditure of energy. Now, in the case of some of these spiders, the chance of obtaining a meal is very greatly increased by a remarkable similarity of coloration between the spider and its usual hunting ground. The spider's object is to remain invisible, and concealment is obviously more easy if its color matches that of its environment. To a greater or lesser extent, this protective coloration as it is called, prevails universally. Spiders are seldom conspicuous objects among their usual surroundings, but it is only occasionally that we meet with cases of very remarkable color adaptation. Two such, however, occur among English crab spiders. One is a species not uncommon in the south of England and fairly plentiful in the New Forest, where it is to be sought among the lichen on the tree trunks, where its blue-gray body, marked with black and white blotches, makes it practically invisible, except when in motion. It rejoices in the name of Philodromus margaritatus. The other case is that of the spider known as Misumena vatia, which is variable in color, some specimens being yellow and others pink while a variety of the species has a blood-red streak decorating the front part of its abdomen. If it were to choose lichen as a hunting ground, 
there would be little chance of concealment but it does nothing so foolish it hides among the petals of flowers generally but not always among flowers more or less of its own color now this phenomenon of resemblance is sometimes carried very much further than a tolerable correspondence between the color of an animal and its surroundings it occasionally amounts to an apparent imitation in form and in behavior as well as in color of some other object either animal or vegetable and in such cases we have examples of what is known as mimicry most people have seen remarkable instances of this phenomenon in the stick and leaf insects of entomological collections there are several different ways in which such a resemblance may be profitable to the imitator clearly it may be advantageous for a weak animal to be mistaken for one much more formidable and less likely to be attacked or for an insect which is really extremely good eating to resemble closely one which birds well know to be unpalatable or again if your line is to lie perdu and wait for some unwary insect to come within reach it must be a distinct asset to be indistinguishable from such an innocent object as a twig or a leaf and the same disguise may serve you if you are the possible victim and you can make the would-be devourer believe that you are a mere vegetable it is seldom difficult to see some such possibility of gain in the numerous well-known cases of insect mimicry the wasp tribe formidable with their stings are often mimicked the unpalatable heliconid butterflies are imitated by members of edible families and some insects are such exact imitations of leaves that the all-devouring army ants have been seen to run over them without discovering the imposition mimicry is an unfortunate term inasmuch as it seems to imply intentional imitation protective resemblance is better it is generally accounted for by the action of natural selection upon random variations no two members of a brood are exactly alike slight variations in form size color etc are constantly occurring and when the variation is a useful one the animal possessing it has a slightly better chance of surviving and rearing progeny some of whom will probably possess the same peculiarity perhaps even in a more marked degree and will be better equipped than their neighbors in the struggle for life the happy possessors of such favorable variations are thus in a sense selected by nature and this selection acting through countless generations is thought to be the chief agent in bringing about the remarkable phenomenon of protective resemblance the theory has no doubt been pushed too far fanciful resemblances have been detected and advantages of which there is no proof are sometimes asserted and moreover other possible ways of accounting for the facts have been too much overlooked but however 
it has come about there is a case of mimicry among crab spiders which deserves more than a passing mention the name of the spider in question is phyronachne decipiens and it was accidentally discovered by forbes when butterfly hunting in java it spins a white patch of silk on the upper side of a leaf on which it places itself back downwards clinging to the web by means of spines on its legs it then folds its legs closely and lies absolutely still in this position the spider and web look precisely like the droppings of some bird upon the leaf such droppings are frequently seen and seem to be particularly attractive to butterflies it was not until forbes tried to catch a butterfly settled on a leaf that he found that what looked like excrement was really a spider which held the butterfly in its grasp even after this experience he was again deceived by the same species in sumatra there are several extremely ant-like spiders and it is remarkable that some of the imitators belong to widely different spider families that is to say the resemblance has arisen independently from quite different starting points it is very noteworthy that resemblance in structure is always accompanied by similarity of behavior as indeed it is bound to be if any benefit is to accrue to the mimic your resemblance to a leaf will deceive no one if you run wildly about and your imitation of an ant will lack verisimilitude if you adopt a slow and stately method of progression ant-like spiders adopt the hurried and apparently undecided gait of their models and insects which look like sticks leaves or inanimate objects all possess the power and the habit of remaining for a long time perfectly motionless End of chapter 8